0: Hi, this is Sarah Azrod, and welcome to the 120th episode of the Truth Island podcast. When we think of superheroes, we often think of individuals that have special powers or abilities. Special often implies that someone, some talent, or even an object is not only different than that of the rest, but inherently superior. For instance, we love Mozart not because he happened to be an eccentric guy, but because he had the ability to compose unique and wonderful music. However, take Mozart and deprive him of his musical talent. And you no longer have someone that is special, but someone who is simply different, which is something that we don't seem to quite like as much. With most famous people, every bit of eccentricity can be easily ignored as long as they produce something which our society deems to be of value or special. The elusive goal of special can bring out the best in each of us, pushing us to rise above mediocrity and the competition. At the same time, however, those unable to break free of society's expectations and achieve something unique are increasingly made to feel inadequate. An abundance of self-help literature tells us that with enough persistence, each of us can fly over mountains. But what if some of us are destined To only remain at the foot. Joining me to help find the extraordinary within the ordinary, I am once again joined by Kenny. Kenny, if you could be special at any one thing, what would that be?
1: Sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) I'd be the best sleeper out there. Go on.
0: I think that would be a really incredible talent because. Imagine you had control of your dreams. Man, it, like every day you could go flying. Every day you could be an actor. Like you could, I think that would be an incredible talent because in your dreams, you can truly be whatever it is that you want to.
1: Yeah, you could live, you could live as many lives as you, I mean, it's it, every night would be, or should I say every sleep opportunity would be a, uh, an opportunity for a different life, a different role, a different uh, adventure, I, I would say. The only problem is that, you know, if it's if you get too good at it, you just you might you might forget which
0: reality is real. But who knows? <laughs> I'll be like, hey, but this sleep reality is way better, way
1: everyone, better.
0: Everyone seems to love me here in my dreams. You know, Well,
1: in the words of Adam Young, reality is a lovely place, but I wouldn't want to live there. Um,
0: <laughs> Man. Uh- Oh, I I think that like even you know sleep is important. You know, even just getting a good night's rest really makes the day so much better. That that's one of the thing that kind of bothers me with this this, this modern day society is that we actually you know speaking of special people we actually cherish people that can function on three hours of sleep or something we, we think oh my god you know uh look at elon musk he can operate with only you know two hours of sleep and and i i just feel like i don't admire that i actually admire the guy who functions on like nine hours of sleep you know because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I think that sleeping is really really important because I notice about myself, and I can't speak for others. When I get a good night's rest, the quality of what I'm doing during the day, my the quality of my thoughts, the quality of my actions, behaviors, is at such a higher quality than when I only am operating on four hours of sleep. I don't know about you.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it is, Oh, it's a the majority, you know, majority of the case for most people. I don't know if there are people out there who pride themselves on, you know, functioning on. little amounts of sleep well I, i wouldn't i wouldn't doubt that it's possible that you know such anomalies would exist because i mean we've seen we've seen all kinds of things in this world in the sense of you know chemicals chemical imbalances that actually um some some help people others uh hinder people um but for the most part i think that i mean even so going going back to the idea of people who are special well it depends because we do we do have people in this world that kind of just stand out these and they, they stand out like massively you know um while if if compared to the average human being i mean we have um um we have physical tests that show that some some kids are stronger than others or some men are stronger than others or some women are stronger than others we have iq tests that show um the same thing but in the you know um on an intelligence um on an intelligence level and we have um um I mean, this, this is why the whole school, it's not really why the school system exists, but it is what the school system has become in the sense that it's just now a system of, you know, comparing kids to, comparing kids to other kids and um, to some extent, because now that's actually changing too. But still, um, throughout history, throughout history, throughout our everyday life, we find that, I mean, that's why there's history, because certain people stood out and did shit that <laughs> they made history so but others 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 don't many of us don't um so I, I i do think there are people who are incredibly quote unquote special um and i do think that um, there is an appropriate response um to to that to that kind of um,
0: phenomena now you actually touched upon something that's really interesting about special that some people are i guess, born with special. Like, for example, if I bumped into somebody that was six foot eight, that's pretty darn special. Like to be that tall is just really rare. You just don't find that many people who are six foot eight. But that's the type of specialness that that person didn't really do anything to earn that specialness right to be that yeah. tall it was just something that they were born born with you know maybe they ate a lot of broccoli or something growing up but but chances are it was just a genetic freak of nature and then let's say that six foot eight person goes on to join the nba and they have a successful basketball career or something to, to, to that effect i'm not yeah. saying that that person that person still has to put in the work you can't just be six foot eight and sit on a bench all day and get good at basketball you still have to work but i imagine like just being six foot eight, there's so many basketball coaches that probably see you in high school, see you in college and are like egging you on to like join the basketball team. Whereas me at five foot eight, they're like, forget you, man. Like, you know, so that specialness that is innate that's born. And, you know, we could make the, the argument like some, some, like there are kids, Kenny, that I read about that can solve like complicated math problems at three, four, five years old. And I'm like, was that just one hell of a diligent five-year-old? Or does that five-year-old perhaps um, have some innate specialness that that, that they were born with? And I think that's fantastic. I, I Listen, I think God creates people with all sorts of talents for a reason. And some people are blessed, some people are mediocre and average, and then other people have uh, things that they have to overcome throughout their life. And I think all of that is fine. I do see that problem, though, where somebody then turns around and says, Hey, Aaron, you know that with enough persistence, you could too be in the NBA or you too could be the next blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, Okay, yeah, no, persistence is important, but. At what level do we you know, at what level are we honest with ourselves and say, maybe I just don't have that innate in advantage that it takes to like to be special. And, you know, we don't want to give up to you don't want to be a quitter and not try anything and just lay in bed all day. But on the other hand, I, I think that this can lead to a lot of stress and a lot of anguish. If regular mediocre folk are constantly trying to aim to be special when they when they really can't.
1: I know. whoa, I think that makes I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, so the, the whole idea that you know, I mean, I, I believe so. I believe in I believe there are special people, like I said earlier, but the whole idea that anybody can be special is bollocks mm-hmm. because that's just not true. Now, there are there, there are cases where, you know, people who work really hard, attain great things because of their effort, their hard work and there are others who work really hard and don't attain don't attain it at all um so no I, I don't think that anybody i don't think that anybody and everybody can be special or anybody and everybody can attain their you know their wildest dreams or be be the next elon musk or be the next you know uh wh- whoever whoever it is um i think that because but here's the thing is that that's what that's why you know the uh, the the self-help guru is very is often very successful, is because because people really want to be special. Yes, people want to people want to be special. We have this innate desire to be special, to stand out from the crowd, to be unique, to be, and not just to be unique. We want to be better than everybody else, and often we want to see other people fail. And the self help teacher is 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 the is the fan the flames that fans that flame he says you can do it it's possible you can be whatever you want to be and so forth they become successful and they say well look at me well yeah well you know you're 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 selling me crack basically so yeah you're going to make a lot of money <laughs> it, it is it's intellectual crack it's it it's the most if you if you get into this if you get into self-help stuff You'd be surprised how, how easily addictive it is. You, you can't just pick up one self-help book and you know, just kind of walk away from it. You keep going for the next one and the next one and the next one. I mean, there's some poor schmuck with the whole library filled with Tony Robinsons. Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love man, I love that. I you know, man, you know, it's it's funny. We haven't spoken in a while, but I feel like our brain has been in the same exact space. <laughs> place for these past few months. Like we are like we have there's some kind of telepathy going on over here because I, I was thinking the same exact thing. And I think where the, the the self-help you know turns into crack is that first off it's really shoving desire down your throat like there's no tomorrow. And you know when I was younger I struggled with this idea of desire because in Buddhism desire is a bad thing. And you know, then I got a little bit older, and I said, "All right, well, I, I, you know, let me just not desire stupid material stuff." But now I'm coming full circle and realizing, even some of these desires to be famous or to be well known or to be recognized, even those desires are like highly dangerous. And I think that we're we're creating an entire generation that's self-loathing, not because we're inherently self-loathing. It's because we're we're we we're having these desires basically being pumped through our bloodstream, you know, pumped through our bloodstream. And I think one of the um, uh, authors who I've actually taken issue with is uh, Malcolm Gladwell, who wrote the book Outliers. When I first read his book, I loved it. I was like, "Whoa, this is fantastic! Awesome!" And one of the things that he's known for is something called like the 10,000 hour rule that if you're, you know, according to his theory that even if you're just a regular schmo, but you do something for 10,000 hours, you will become exceptional at it. But then I actually really thought about this. And I've known a lot of teachers, accountants, I've known a lot of people. You know, if you actually do the math, 10,000 hours is roughly a decade of doing something. So, in other words, if you do something for 10 years, you will, according to the 10,000 hour rule, you will become exceptional at it. I know a lot of teachers, and I know a lot of people who have been doing things for 20 years, and they still aren't that good, and they still kind of suck at it. And I'm like, that you know, like how does how does that make somebody feel where they put in the 10,000 hours and they're still you know, mediocre at, at doing something. And I, I think that the only reason that they hate themselves is not not because they actually hate themselves, but because they're being their bloodstream is being pumped with that desire to to feel special or to be unique.
1: When this whole ten thousand hours thing, you know, started going around, I, I first of all, I'm just naturally very cynical towards things like that. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's not the case, because it's just—it's simply saying the same thing we've been hearing for ages, ever since we were kids. It's just in a different way. Practice makes perfect. Mm-hmm. The more you practice, the better you get. It's sim- its just that simple. So, and I think that's true. Now, there is a problem having people focus more on the outcome, on the, on the 10,000 10, hours outcome. Now, I haven't read the book. I don't know exactly, you know, how he leans this book. Um, where he leans this book and how it's supposed to affect the reader but from what I have seen it seems as though and I could be wrong yeah it seems as though you know it's at least it it pumps up people to wants to actually put in that 10,000 hours well sure the problem is not about is the the issue is not putting in the 10,000 hours I hope that the ten thousand hours is simply an in, an in, in, uh, an illustration of what's of what you will be doing in the sense of it's a picture of of what the true source ought in, will will eventually do, and the true source of the thing is actually the love for the thing. So if you're you know for example if you're a basketballer, you're not playing basketball for the sake of you know just ma- meeting your ten thousand hours so you can walk away like the badass um lebron james but rather you're putting in you're putting your putting in work putting in that because you love the sport you're picking up the ball as often as you can to play and if you're part of a team you love your team you love your sport you know you want to and if even if you love money you want to make more money that's fine too Is some whatever there's a motivator there's an inertial there's an initial motivator for you to pick up i would recommend a, a, a love for the a love for the thing but you know not a, it's not easy for everybody to attain that so um, the ten thousand hours, I I believe comes not na- not ten thousand. Yeah, the ten thousand hours, I believe comes naturally, if one loves the thing and picks up the thing for the sake of you know for 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 a good, um, based on a good motivation or a good a good motivator, you know.
0: Yes, yes, and I I think that something else that's kind of missing in this conversation is, do you enjoy those ten thousand hours? And this is kind of where I think the self-help industry becomes a bit exploitative because they basically say, well, of course you're gonna hate the first 10 hours. Of course you're gonna hate the first 100 hours, but then it gets better with time. You're gonna eventually, once you reach you know, your 3000 hours, then all of a sudden you'll start enjoying it a bit more or something like that. Whereas I've actually found it to be kind of the opposite. Now you might start something and suck at it at first, but even if you suck at something, you could still suck at something, but still kind of enjoy it at the same time. Like you might um, you know, be starting your basketball career and you're really not that good, but you enjoyed that first hour of practice. You enjoyed that first hour of doing whatever. That's something that I think is really missing from all of this because I'm fine with people putting in 10,000 hours, but if you're not enjoying yourself, like if you don't feel, even if you failed completely and bombed at whatever it is that you were doing, did you enjoy bombing? Did you enjoy that failure? Did the time go by really quickly? And that's something that never gets discussed with this 10,000 hours. It's just like, you just it's made to seem like it's just this invisible barrier. Once you break through the barrier, then you'll come out on top. But I know people who have gone above and beyond that threshold. And they're still they're still one not happy, and two they still may not have achieved mastery because innately that was not what they were meant to do.
1: Yeah, I mean, then it's also a matter of you know how much attention does a person put because just because you're sitting there de- sitting down there drawing for ten thousand hours, sure you might get better. For sure you'll get better because like I said, it, it's just a matter of it's a matter of principle. Practice makes perfect. Practice makes you better. Um, but there's a certain kind of attention one one gives to his work that that changes the way you interact with that work it changes the way you even even to have a simple philosophy of your work
0: mm-hmm.
1: transforms the way you work I think it's also it's, it's it's also an individual thing one of my favorites directors Miyazaki talks you know um you see there's a documentary about him and you, when you hear about his work ethic it's wonderful. The man yeah. is just uh, a, he, he hes a glutton for punishment. That guy, but he—he he works really hard at what he does, and he pays an incredible, incredible amount of attention. It's just the kind of person that he is. There are others with the same, you know, same um, work ethic. Work ethic, but pay little, to, <laughs> pay little to no attention. It's just a matter of getting the job done, mm. you know. And they—they they both put in the same amount of time. But their, their, their attention, their, 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 their focus, and their, their presence, the, the presence of the mind on the work is different. But honestly, I think that I don't think that people, I don't think anybody and everybody can be special. And um, I think that it's really hard to... When a person really wants to be special and they really work hard at it and they find that they can't really attain that, you know, what they, what they'd like to be, it's heartbreaking. Yes. Now this, is, that is, this doesn't mean that people shouldn't try to attain higher than what they would, you know, naturally or ordinarily um, be able to attain, but they should absolutely. But every man must know his place and know his limits. It's, it's impossible. It's, 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 inc- it's incredibly, uh, it's, it's necessary, at least for the well-being of the mind and, uh, and st- the stability of the mind, because the last thing you want is to be plunged into all sorts of depression and unhappiness. And um, I think it's important for people to learn how to be thankful for where they what, where they where they are and what they have, um, and to be also even thankful for those who are greater than them, in the sense of there And this may sound elitist. He's an elitist. Well, <laughs> shut up. No, it's 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 just a common way of life. In the sense of there are those who are going to be do far better than you are. You don't there's only one of two responses. Sorry, mm-hmm. there's sorry, three responses. Um but two are two are very dangerous. The first response is jealousy, anger, you're angry at them for being better, you're angry at them because they you know they're accomplishing things you absolutely want and you're jealous. You want what they want. You look at your your, your stuff and you say, Well, this is a load of shit. I want what he has. He's his shit's better than my shit. Yeah. It's
0: like,
1: well, you that's not really a great response you know what I mean and you go home you're, you're you're I mean jealousy has this way of eating you up from the inside every time you see that person you have this sharp you know sharp pain through your chest or your head and you're, you feel the you feel the anger bubbling up and what kind of life is that who wants to walk around feeling that kind of thing you know for people second thing is apathy it's like this whole you know I don't care. I don't, well, you you do care. Apathy is like, is like just an intense amount of, you don't want to feel anything. You just don't, you just don't care, man. You.
0: Care. I'm over it. I don't care. This whole thing life, I'm done with it, Kenny. That's you're it. You're dead to me. <laughs>
1: you know, it's like, no, no, that's that's not good either. You're numbing yourself to actual emotions, actual things that, um, actual things that you feel or should or ought to feel. Mm. um even if i'd rather feel something negative than feel nothing at all you know what i mean so the the apathy is not a good thing either you just can't i just don't care whatever he can i don't care whether he lives or dies that's not great that's that's just numbness yes and you, that's you know then the last thing and the the the, the better thing I, I wouldn't say that it's it, it's it's better is simple gratitude is simple gratitude you're you're happy for the guy hey man good well done Good job. Um even if it's a competition between you guys, you might get him next time. You might not, but be happy that he got you this time. He won, you know, he won or she won, whatever. Be happy for them because if it was you, you'd want people to be happy for you.
0: Mm -hmm. You know, Kenny, you've done it again. Like every time we start a conversation, I'm like, all right, man, how, you know, like, like, how are we going to get past 30 minutes? But Every every sentence you make, oh, like a thousand questions, just pop into my head. So thank you, man. You've done <laughs> without even trying. You we've created magic again. All right, I want to. Amen, brother. I want to. I really kind of latched on to that statement that you said about know your limits, and I think in order to actually be happy in this world, every man woman needs to eventually come to terms with their limits. Like. I think one of the healthiest things for me to have in my head is like, Aaron, you're not going to be a PhD mathematician. You just don't, that's not, that's not within your uh, skill set. That's not within your limitations. And knowing that actually makes me stronger because once I have that limit of like, you're never going to be a doctorate in, in mathematics, it then allows you to apply your efforts elsewhere. And that's a fantastic thing. It makes us stronger to not try and embark, you know, to climb up trees that we're not really meant to climb. It actually it it makes us stronger. The issue that I kind of find with this, Kenny, is that we ultimately live in a you know capitalist like culture that tells the individual, I don't give a crap. I you're gonna get good at this thing, even though you're you don't have that innate ability. In order to survive in this world, you need Mm. to be a master at something that you don't have innate mastery in. Mm. This is where life is starting to get really dangerous. And this is where I think a lot of the anguish and depression is starting to come there. And and I think that the the self-help industry kind of um, fuels this kind of behavior because I, as an individual, naturally know, hey, I'm not all that good at doing this but then I live in this society that's constantly shaming me for not being good at that. So I'm wondering if you have any techniques or suggestions for how, how, how can I know my limits, but then live in a world that keeps telling me that the possibilities are limitless.
1: Well, it's so it's natural for the world to do that because everything in this world is simply a money game. Um, there are certain. There are only a couple motivators in this world. I mean, generally speaking. Of course, when you boil it down to individual, to the individual level, we have more motivators. But even those motivators are often connected in some way, or simply these three: it's you know, um, power, the desire for power, the desire for riches, mm-hmm. and the desire to get laid. <laughs> Sex and <laughs> money, right? <laughs>
0: and,
1: yeah, it's it. That's it, and and cool stuff. So. At the end of the day, the world's going to tell you all these kinds of things in one way one way or the other so that they can make money off of you. It could be the boss trying to force you to become a marketer, even though you don't care about marketing or even, I mean, don't have the heart, mind or soul for it. Mm. He doesn't want to hire somebody. He just wants you to do the job. You know what I mean? because that's, 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 that's 40k, he said, it's 40k a year, he's saving the company, not 40k, I don't know how many, how much market is, I assume it's like 80k actually, but that's like 80k a year, he's, he's saving the company, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Or the, you know, the teacher who is, you know, forcing a students to, you know, to,
0: to love this subject, right? to love the subject. You yeah, know right. I
1: mean? And to be, yeah, it's, the point is simply this, is that it's, it comes back to the individual. I think that people, it's important for people to know themselves. And it's important for people to be okay with who they are. Mm. Now, that doesn't mean that people are generally good people. I think people are horrible people in the sense of so, uh, you know, you had mentioned something, you had mentioned earlier about depression. I think that this does play into depression. But I think that depression really does come, I would say, generally from a, a huge sense of the self sense that we are not good there's a question that people like asking each other especially in their moments of you know down when they're down they ask you know am i a good person it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible question it's an incredible question because with that question packs it packs a huge punch it packs a huge punch in the person who's asking it it packs a huge punch in the person who's being asked because what you're saying is there is such a thing as good And if there is such a thing as good, am I that? And the question of the question is, why do you want to be good? Who gives a crap if you're good? But it matters to you. I mean, the the things we ask and the, the ramifications of the things we ask, I don't think we understand. But often we know human beings know we are not good. We know that whatever good is, we don't measure up to it. We suck at it. And so we feel this horrible guilt, badness feeling all the time. But this this other thing this not knowing oneself and this not this not accepting of oneself even if one is bad if one if a person is bad it's simply okay to say yes i'm a bad person it's okay to accept that you must accept it you can't be you can't be at odds with yourself the reality of yourself because there's only one or two options It's either uh no i'm not a bad person you deceive yourself so no i'm not a bad person And then, but you're at odds because your subconscious has already told you you are. So you're consciously fighting yourself, which is a state of insanity. Imagine a mind that's always every second of the day fighting itself. That's incredibly, that's incredibly tiring. Oh yeah. It's welcome to my
0: world. (laughs) You know?
1: And, and, and then, so the other option is to accept the fact that you are what, whatever it is you are either good or bad based on your own truthful assessments and accept it. Make, make come to terms with it because it's better to accept what you are than to pretend to be what you're not. Even if what you're pretending to be is better than what you are. I, I like, um, there's a way that CS Lewis puts it. He says, I, I think it's Lewis he says um before you confess what you'd like to be confess first what you are yes. and i think i think that is super important super oh
0: important. man hell yes that that is that really well said kenny i i think i i think that our inability to kind of love ourselves for who we are and in our default default mode is is the root of a lot of this depression because because we're, we're constantly orienting ourselves towards future selves and the self-help industry will tell you that's a beautiful thing like you should have an image of yourself with a six-pack and you know a broad chest driving a lamborghini but that image actually makes you depressed it actually it, it, that that future godlike image of yourself really destroys your current self and that's you're basically destroying the entire present, uh pursuing a fantasy that will probably never be. And that that's just a completely yeah. unhappy way to live one's life. There's also something else that you said, and it's funny, it made me think of an internet meme. And typically I don't derive wisdom from internet memes, but this one in particular <laughs> is pretty good. And and yeah. it's a um it's a meme of an old man and a young man. And the, the young man goes to the old man and says, what should I do with my life? What should I do for a living? And the old man turns to him and says, try being a good person. There's a lot of vacancy for that position. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the things that's really bothering me about this world with the 10,000 hour rule and Napoleon Hill and becoming rich and all this other stuff is that we're focused on mastery and 10,000 hours money and all this, you know, we're focused on this as being the defining, as these being the defining characteristics that we need to cultivate.
1: Mm. Whereas
0: being yourself and being a good person is not, like no one ever talks about 10,000 hours of goodness or 10,000 hours of listening or 10,000 hours of helping people. So that that's also something that's completely, uh robbed of the conversation it's always about some kind of self-mastery but not self-mastery to help other people but self-mastery to bring you fame and fortune
1: yeah because that's the only thing we understand fully how to accomplish because those things are straightforward Mm. you put in a certain amount of work you get a certain amount of recognition you get a certain amount of sales you get a certain amount of money it's it's just it's 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 numbers this is it's it's it can be laid out for you in in a, in a mathematical formula. Being a good person, however, cannot. It's one of the most ambiguous things ever, in the sense of so. If you notice, anybody who starts preaching about what it's what it's what it takes to be a good person, what happens is they usually, you know, they usually transform into a cult, you know, like a cult leader. <laughs> They just do. Well,
0: <laughs> they, Kenny, if they... you want to be good, all you really need to do is follow my ten symbols.
1: <laughs> you know what I mean? It. They just usually just end up doing that, you know. And it's um because goodness is one of those things that now you can give people principles of of good. You can, there are principles that you can get. Like for example, this whole thing with Jordan Peterson in his book. Those are simple principles of what it's like. Oh, he wasn't actually trying to make you—what um, was it called? A, basically, a good person, as much as it is order your life. But um, when 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 you're dealing with when you're dealing with goodness, it's hard. It's really hard. It's a really tough place to be. And I think that's because that's the nature of goodness. Goodness is not something, at least as far as I can see. I could be terribly wrong, and I'd like to be corrected if anybody, you know, sees difference. Is if if goodness is not one of those things that you can transmute, you can't. wait, Like if I'm a, if I'm a good man as a father, like I just a good man. I can't make my son good; it's just not possible. I could be a really good man, and my son turned out to be a total bastard. That and people say, well, that's just a reflection on your parenting. Maybe but he, could, he just could be a bastard because my son is his own person at the end of the day. So I think that goodness is, is and I, here's, it's just one of those, and I'm about to say a dirty word. It's, um, it's one of those metaphysical phenomena that we don't really understand. We can, if you notice, even if you force somebody to do something good, it ends up being bad. Like, can you imagine that? Like, that's how, that's, how, that's how strange goodness is. Like if I force my son to do something I think is good, I've done something bad. Do you see, like, do you see what I'm trying to say? Like I've, I've overridden his free will as an autonomous agent to impose my moral characteristic, my own moral idea on him.
0: My goodness. My, we've been thinking the same exact stuff, man, for the past couple of months. <laughs> I, I, I feel like we've been having conversations with one another, like, without having conversations with one another, because... <laughs> no, because what you're saying is, is, is exactly, like, I've been reading a lot of, or, or listening to a lot of uh, Taoist lectures, you know, um, about this very idea. And according to Lao Tzu, One of the chief causes of of like distress in our world is when man artificially tries to control nature. And I heard that when I was much younger, like I learned, I I read um, his book when I was like maybe 24 and I was like, all right, I get it. You know, you want us to just live in the woods and, you know, live in cabins and, you know, get our water from the river. But it's actually more than that, because when we think of nature, it's not just like trees and stuff. It's also fundamental human nature. So if you have a son that fundamentally has a nature that leans towards something bad, there can actually be some greater harm that's caused by trying to impose your goodness upon that child or to impose any sort of value on that child that is not inherent to who they are because that creates an unnatural conflict like that that child was born with a particular nature and sometimes you try and temper that nature or control it and maybe maybe there is a way to to kind of guide that nature but to kind of suppress it or control that nature is actually what leads to a lot of harm in this universe
1: absolutely i mean that's why if you hear that there's an old saying or an old stereotype that pastors children end up becoming incredible incredibly wild and it's because they usually grow up in those kinds of environments environments that are so controlling because what i mean no pastor wants to be seen as the man who can, quote-unquote, control or tame his children, and so he becomes incredibly forceful and manipulative, and you know, trying to mold this this um, this ball of potential into his own spitting image. And what happens is the mold becomes so you know so rebellious against um, against everything that the father uh, stands for. And so that's one of the dangers is that any mind, any mind that is, you know, that is being manipulated to be good or to do good ends up totally. And I mean, totally rejecting things that are good because the, the good things remind them too much of their oppressor. The good things remind them too much of their oppression. And so they, so it's one of those things like, you know, um, your father, every time you walked past past a certain homeless man, your father would force you to give your part of your lunch money to him. It's like, okay, he would do the same thing. He, he did this for years. And finally, you know, when you got your own chance, you got get out of the house, got went to college and you saw, you know, you saw a homeless person, you were just filled with such disgust because it was, and the, the, the disgust actually channeled, to your father and what he did to you though you don't you don't even know how to, you didn't even know how to articulate it but every time you see a homeless man you feel that that an, that antipathy that dislike that that dissonance inside that makes you even frown at them let alone give them a damn thing you know so i think it can be dangerous in the sense that we we actually train people to despise what is good
0: you know one thing that i was just thinking about like the father who trains the son to to like give to the homeless what if the father just gave to the homeless but didn't tell the son to do that like imagine you have a father who just gives to the homeless and doesn't 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 say well you ought to do this as well because i think the dangerous word is you ought to, or look what I'm doing. Whereas it's like, if you really want people to follow in what it is that you're doing, just do it and do it silently and don't impose that upon others. And if you silently do it, okay, some people will look at it and be like, yeah, I I kind of like that. And others will be like, "Mm, that's not really for me. But I think if you have any chance of catching any of these bees with honey, It's going to be through just silently doing something and letting it rub off onto other people. But the moment you do something and then say, shouldn't we all do this? Shouldn't we all recycle? That's when you become the annoying guy that, that people run away from or people Uh, want to contradict your nature. Like they, because you're imposing, you're imposing your order onto their nature, then their nature rebels against you.
1: No, I, so what you just said was absolutely brilliant. I think it's true. I think it's bloody true. Do the damn thing yourself. You know, I mean, that's if the father who reaches into his own pockets, regardless of his son, this is something, hopefully this is something he does, whether his son is there or not, he doesn't care, because it's just a part of his nature, he reaches into his own pocket and gives it to the man and moves on with the son. The son has learned something. He's picked up something. and If he doesn't, then eventually, because of the father's natural repetition of, the, of, of, the, of, of that action, the son is going to pick something up. And something. he might even ask him, why do you do that? Because he's interested. He wants to understand something. His brain has thought about it and he has questions about the matter. This is why, not, I, why I don't believe in movements. I don't believe that movements can change the world. I believe individuals on a very individual level can change the world and change their environment. All it says um, there's a there's a book, I believe, I think maybe it's a chapter in a book. I think it's a book though. It says, um, all life, all life is meeting, meeting. And in a sense of Life is life is summed up in the interactions we have with the individuals we meet. And this is how this is how we change lives on the world. It's not necessarily that we change, at least as far as I can see, because I've never seen an organization how you say, um, I know so I've never seen an organization within, I would say, the next within 10, 10 or 20 years retain its ideology for, because usually when organizations start out, they usually start out because they care, quote unquote, care about people. But organizations aren't living entities. Organizations are run by living beings, but together, collectively, they don't have like a hive mind. And so you can have four people in an, sorry, you have like, let's just, you have four people in an organization. The leader who started it is an absolutely wonderful human being. That's why he started a damn thing. The other four who are employees, are bastards. They don't give a shit. They just want jobs. And so what happens is that people look at the organization and they say, well, it was started by, it was started by a lovely man and it does wonderful things. Yeah. But the driver is a murderer. The cook is a criminal. And the, 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 <laughs> the bus boy wants to, you know, I don't know, wants to I, you know <laughs> steal your I don't know. Wants to harm you. The, the, the point is that you know, organizations don't really—they they, can't—they're not good in the sense mm. of they have no—they have no moral quality. It's the individuals within those organizations, and I—I don't see. And usually, when when the we when the leader of the organization dies, the person, the founder dies. The next person is usually a bastard who simply cares about the profits and the organization. The values on paper never change, but the values in actuality do.
0: Yes. No, I I think (laughs) I I think what you're saying is going even back to that father son analogy, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm really thinking about even more now is that sometimes people will say, oh, well, you know, my father Mm -hmm. used to always do this. They'll never say my father told me I had to do this, you know, and that's the same the, the same kind of relationships that we have with organizations that if if that founder just did something, if they, if they just did something and then people took a shining to it or liked it, there's something beautiful and there's something really benevolent and, and something wondrous that we can just observe and take from that. Yeah. But I think the second that that founder turns around and has subordinates and then those subordinates start telling other people how they ought to live their life. This is where the danger kind of comes in because what happens is that you have competing goals because the founder's goal was just to do this really nice thing like, oh, I just volunteer my Saturdays and give coats to the homeless or something like that. But mm-hmm. now the organization is obsessed with power and getting as many people as humanly possible to give their coats to the homeless and so forth. And you're like, well, oh, it's a, it's, isn't that a beautiful thing? And I'm like, not necessarily because – it depends on how you're getting people to do that thing. Are you, are you, are you just giving coats to the homeless and leading by example? And then organically people are like, Hey, I kind of like what that guy's doing. Or are you pressuring people? Are you making them feel guilty? Right? Like guilt guilt is one of those things (laughs) that I think that the self-help industry and many organizations kind of feed upon (laughs) is (laughs) that either like, Oh, well, if you're not growing this organic garden in your backyard you're really a bad person you know and yeah. that's that, that that's that's where it gets dangerous it's like if you want to grow an organic garden in your backyard god bless you but the moment you turn around and be like well, you you don't have kenny you don't have a organic garden in your backyard well, yeah. why not <laughs>
1: like, bruv so uh, what you're saying here makes so here's the thing i i feel this because i think that this is the bedrock of almost if not every organized religion out there hmm. in the sense of this is what they're about they need you to be guilty and they need you to be stupid in a sense this is how this is how they get you Lord have mercy so at the end of the day it's a very powerful tool to you know to manipulate and control people and get them to do what you you know what you um what you want what you want them to do but we find and this is so it's kind of like you know when we we're talking earlier about goodness and we you know I, I was saying that um goodness is this you know metaphysical thing that's kind of weird that we don't really understand but we can understand it if we really wanted to because it's just there's certain things about goodness that are just kind of obvious we see it in movies animes books and we hear it in songs all the time and we're like yeah that makes sense well of course it may well if, if we can't understand it how can we say that makes sense like you know the whole parable about you know the good samaritan so the samaritan was you know they were a hated uh hated uh hated group and they this samaritan was uh this this man who was a samaritan was beaten and robbed and jesus tells a story of how a pharisee or a priest walks by him or a pastor walks by him and this no no, sir, no not the samaritan the samaritan wasn't beaten it was it was another man that was beaten and a samaritan was a man who came to help you know this the samaritan was a hated man and he came and helped this person who was beaten up thank you and um and we understand that story, the story of the parable of the good Samaritan. We understand that story and we say, Well, what a good man. What a good man. Well, there's something there. There's something about goodness that we understand inherently. So goodness can be understood. It's just that we don't really understand it. We don't really take time to understand it. And I think it's kind of like that too with um with 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 other things, with this, with 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 you know with dealing with other human beings trying to teach them how to live or how to you know how to understand the world around them who would have known that it's by father's silence that a kid learns not by father's you know um overbearing yeah 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 yeah
0: you know know, this reminds me of uh, a quote from wittgenstein that like the things that cannot be said must be left unsaid and i think that that directly applies to goodness i i think that goodness is something that you can only observe. You can only watch and you can only see in others. I think the second that you try and package and manufacture goodness, it loses its goodness. I I think that's, yeah, it, it, yeah, exactly. It absolutely loses. It loses it because the second that you try and manufacture goodness, you've placed yourself artificially in a position of power. Right, because you've you've said I've I've got this jar of goodness, and in order to get this goodness, you have to buy it from me. I'm the you know like, <laughs> like 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 I I got the jar of goodness on my shelves, and in order to get that goodness, and that jar is usually the form of a book, right? It's usually like the form of a book or a lecture or, series or a seminar yeah. or something, <laughs> or TED talk or whatever it is, right? Like oh, so yeah. like 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 I'm you know so you, and that's why on this program I'm always careful to to try and and say that like i am very ignorant like i try and 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 try and say that as much as i can to say i'm not this wise guy or whatever because I I, I truly try and remind myself how ignorant I am on a daily basis because I think it's really healthy for for me. And I think it's healthy for our listeners because the second I say, well, Truth Island is the place where you come to be a wise, (laughs) the second second I try and manufacture, and and you know what, there was maybe a time where I was kind of starting to get a a, a, a little full of myself, you know, and I'm like, whoa, 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 take a pause, Aaron, pause because once you start manufacturing something its value is going to disappear because you've you've once you become the chief seller of something once you become the the chief manufacturer of it well then you're gonna also start looking down on other people who are selling goodness and no 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 that person's not quite as good as the goodness i'm selling you. Uh- and now Holy you're starting, smokes. yeah, you're, and then you're starting to slander other people's goodness because your, your <laughs> inferiority <laughs> complex is, 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 is like, prevent, you know, like, don't read that other book, you have to read my book, right? <laughs>
1: oh, man, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. I kill you in the name of goodness. <laughs> I slander you in the name of goodness. <laughs> For your goodness is not as good as my goodness. <laughs> yes, yes. I love it. I love it. Wonderful.
0: So, you know i want to kind of just end off on on our original topic here of specialness Mm. and i i want us to get to this point where people who are special you know and have done great thing our mozarts or whatever they do deserve our admiration they do deserve our love and they do deserve to you know be decorated in the halls of history and so forth Yeah. however i think that we we need to start and see like I'm already becoming preachy again, which is dangerous. <laughs> but I, I think as individuals, yeah, rejecting re- rejecting this idea that we need to be special or that there's something wrong with us even if we're just living mediocre lives, I think we're gonna be a lot happier and I think we're gonna we're not gonna one strain ourselves doing 10,000 hours of stuff that we really just don't care to do. And secondly, we're not going to superimpose our will because a part of being special is also superimposing your accomplishments onto others, like getting on your Facebook, getting on your social media. Check this out. Check out this new song that I made. And like boom, 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 boom. Like like firing these things like missiles. Like you're 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 firing off your specialness like like missiles into the air. And 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 you know, I I think that we'll be a lot better if we're just quietly doing what it is that we're doing and, and sort of loving and relishing in the fact that maybe the maybe it's not for the world to enjoy it's for you to enjoy
1: oh bollocks i think you're absolutely right i i think that makes sense um there's a there's a poem by cs lewis that talks about something like this it's called um in praise of solid folk where he he talks about those people who are not particularly quote-unquote special but just how wonderful their lives are and how and how happy they are and how happy they could be Mm -hmm. you know um so i I think i think i think you're absolutely right i
0: I need to catch up on my cs lewis i think i'm hearing a lot of his name as of late so i'm gonna definitely (laughs) dive into dive into him uh Kenny, thank you for coming back, and I, 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 think this break helped us. I think, I think, I feel that energy right back. So, thank you again, <laughs> my friend. You too, Aaron. Thanks for having me. This concludes the hundred twentieth episode of the Truth Island podcast. I'm Aaron Azrod.